Hello and welcome to Mental Notes from my minivan. Um, I'm Kirsty Sayer and I'm reintroducing myself. I don't think I've I tended to do that on other episodes because it feels like it's been so long and it has been. Um, I took a long hiatus um, and sort of briefly revisited somewhat earlier in the summer regarding the immigration thing because it was very um, relevant to that moment and I felt like the story um, was part of the public conversation or should be my sort of take Um, and I wanted a place to put it down and to be able to refer to people uh, you know when that came up that this is my experience so that was, I think, the only uh, podcast that I have done this whole summer, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, mostly, I felt uninspired, um, or I was doing the second-guessing thing that I addressed in the first episode, where it was, if it couldn't be perfect, or I wasn't sure it was fresh or new or different enough from the others, or... Um, what have you I just didn't want to do it and um, then that sort of uh, gave way to also I had lots of episodes which I think is actually connected everything's really connected to that attitude of it has to be perfect or not at all Um, and then of course almost never is anything perfect which leads to a great deal of self self self-loathing and whatever so what I'm figuring out slowly um, with the help of therapy is that my um, most of my real downward spirals um, are connected in some way to this idea of being not worthy or not being enough and so the triggers are I believe or you know we really are going to start investigating this more carefully but I have a hunch that the triggers generally are connected to a sense of unworthiness um, and then the whole thing just um, unravels so this last week was kind of a um, a big deal in a couple of ways and this I'm trying to make this all connected and not too meandering because even as I'm trying to express it I've got all these threads floating around in my brain where I'm trying to bring it all together um, the first thing that happened was that I um, received confirmation from an attorney who is handling my resignation from um, the Mormon Church that that had been completed and that my resignation um, was complete and so I was no longer um, on the records of the Mormon Church and therefore officially an ex-Mormon which I have been in heart and mind and telling people for for some time now Um, but I think that um, final kind of closure was more important than I realized and I always intended to have some kind of significant closure but I think I'd mentioned in my episode with Carolyn Gurch 
Um, I think it's named something like Mormon Child Brides or 20 Years Later, something like that, was that I had been holding out for an excommunication. <laughs> and that might sound bizarre, but to me it was a way, and it is, and it is, because there's nothing pleasant or like good about an excommunication. Um, in a way, um, I think I was just trying to face my demons. The most terrifying thing that I could think of, and the most unbelievably like um, horrifying thing, I wanted to look in the eye and be like, you no longer have power over me. So I think that was that. Um, there was other things too that, that came from um, a more rage-filled place like I'm not gonna make this easy on anybody which you know why why do we want to waste our, our lives on on stuff like that um, so when I'm in a healthiest spot um, I realize you know look you had a lot of anger and a lot of a rage and all of it is valid but you know what's the point what is the point of dwelling in that place and 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 really putting yourself through something that may not have actually been a very healthy or good for me in the end I don't think I would have handled um, the triggers that m most certainly would have arisen um, through that process because it is a gnarly one now I'm not sure how they handle it for women um, but I know and that in itself is weird, you know, that there's different um, ways of approaching it depending on whether I, you are a male or female. Um, but a church court in, entails in a court-like situation where you have, uh, I think, 12 men, 12 priesthood holders, six of sort of um, def your defense attorneys basically more or less you know in the in the spiritual sense and then the others are the um are, are making a case against you or for why you should leave the church and the mormons do refer to these as courts of love and they're intended to give the person um the opportunity to start over and come clean and do the work that they need to do and then if they are deemed sufficiently repentant they are allowed to in at the discretion of the local I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it is at the discretion of the local leader ultimately I do think they have to get what is called first presidency clearance um, but again I could might be corrected on that but I, I think it's the case um, in order to be rebaptized so I'm trying to lay this out as fairly as possible that that might um, have been a very traumatic experience for me. I would have t been taking on more than I could have handled. But in my rage at times, it sounded like something pretty freaking fun, <laughs> to be honest, to go in there and be very defiant, um, it, which is not how I had ever really presented myself in any way in the church. I was always submissive, and that might make past bishops and other authority um you know people in position of authority over me laugh and say uh we didn't see you so much as submissive but i was and 
I always operated from a place of um, losing my standing in the church being more, you know, the sum of all fears. Um, and that comes from how I was raised, a place you know, where I was telling my therapist uh, just yesterday that we didn't even discuss the possibility of people leaving the church in my family. Like that was an unfathomable part of the equation. Like that, I was saying, I was trying to make an analogy with her. Um, and I said, that would be like you sitting your daughters down and saying to them, look, if there ever comes to be a place that you're convicted of murder and imprisoned for it, this is what my reaction will be. I will, you know, have this part to play in your life or not. Um, it was so unfathomable in my family that it wasn't even something we discussed. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, and, and to avoid losing um, the blessings of the church and the sealing power of the church, which is um, what we're taught that you can get you can get married and it will be from death to us you know from until death we do part or you can be sealed if you're worthy enough to go to the temple and you marry a, a, a member of the church who is also worthy enough to go to the temple so there's you know you can be a member of the church on one level but then there's sort of like you level up when you are worthy enough to go to the temple and that is how you can be sealed to that person so that your marriage will withstand um, death and you will be sealed for eternity and any children that you have um, then or who will be born later um, will also automatically be sealed to you and so you all will be an eternal family um, logic obviously dictates well what happens when they themselves get married and they want to be sealed to their family well they do and then I guess in the end we all are one big gigantic sprawling family but anyway you're mostly taught within this kind of dreamy state of you're going to be your happy little family forever and, and you know everybody's worst fear is that their family falls apart or is taken from them um, and then we can't be without you know without children and what have you and um, whenever I would discuss as I often did and and like I said you know I, in the past I had major reservations from the church from my earliest memories I remember being younger than eight sitting in a classroom at church or sitting in um, uh, sacrament meeting where they would bear testimony on what was called fast and testimony meeting and, and being like there this doesn't seem right especially when they would use the phrase I know this is the only true church on the earth or on the face of the earth was a favorite phrase and I would be like hmm but what about the others <laughs> and there was always a you know an answer that was sort of like supposed to placate but it really did give me a major sense of like disquiet how exclusive the church seemed and then there were arguments no we're the most inclusive church ever because we allow for everybody to see our way at some point even if it's only after they die that's why we do all this work by proxy um, 
you know, so everybody will have the chance to see the right way and, and, and come to our way. But it just, I was like, you know, one way for so many different kinds of people and, you know, I, this just doesn't add up. So I didn't have particularly high level concerns, but as a kid in my gut, it felt wrong and lots of it felt wrong and it felt increasingly wrong. The old I got and here we are. So um, anyway, all that to say this was, um, you know, the culmination from coming from a place where I grew up and for most of my life could not even fathom and would do anything in my power to avoid that um, losing the blessings of the church um, and my membership in the church um, to this point where I actively was hoping that I would have the opportunity to go through a church court um, is kind of you know the whole thing is, is steeped in a lot of drama and emotion and um, this is my story and everybody might come from a different place and everybody you know there might be plenty of Mormons who don't see it this way at all and cool um, that's you know of course their story to tell but my story to tell um, basically my story with the Mormon church ends um, at least officially this week when I got that confirmation and when I um, finally made the decision to um, apply you know to go and ask for you know my resignation to be processed it in itself was very anticlimactic um, I'd had an experience um, just a few days earlier which really emphasized to me how incredibly damaging the church had been um, to my family, to my immediate family, um, that being my kids and myself. And I um, had determined when that happened um, that something very powerful and definite and demonstrable needed to be done to show that I was separated from that for the sake of at least one, um, at least myself, first and foremost. Um, but also just to, you know, show solidarity for what I, for what I believed and I, what I wanted my kids to know where I stood and everything. So I decided, okay, enough's enough and I need to really, really make this official. And that experience had been somewhat dramatic and it was kind of a pivotal moment. Um, not that I'd ever, ever intended to go back to the church. There was no, there was no hope or in the back of my mind going, oh, I bet that, you know, one day maybe something will change and I'll drift back there was never any chance of that in my mind but I just really needed to close the chapter in an official way um, but when I actually got around to it we were watching you know soccer on TV and people were coming to the door and you know I was doing 10,000 things as I always am and this uh, website that had been set up by this attorney had made it so incredibly simple. It was like it was like you know putting together your shopping list on click list or ordering something from Amazon. It was practically that easy. And so of course you know when your whole life from birth, honestly, has I don't remember anything not being a member of the church and not having this very overwhelming sense of you are 
or if you aren't, all is literally lost. Um, until I was away from it, really, really away and not attending for quite some time. Um, I did not ever not have that sense. So even when I myself, I, I remember the day when I walked out of a, a um, sacrament meeting and I was like, that's it. I will never go to another sacrament meeting. I sort of left halfway through and I made a very solemn vow to myself that I would never go again. Um, I posted, I believe I posted, it's on Facebook. Um, I don't think anybody knew what I was referring to, but I remember putting no more crying on Sundays. And it had to do with um, the church's attitude towards um, the LGBTQ community. And um, that's, that's actually a phrase, a refrain from a song regarding somebody's um, saying about the church, when the church doesn't sort of show love and inclusion, um, that holy water is poison. And I found that, I, I believe that that spoke for me entirely. And I would no longer be crying on Sundays. I would no longer be conflicted on Sundays. I would no longer be going there going, this ain't right. I'm not going to be a part of this. But how can I, you know, how can I separate from this without, you know, upsetting my family or whatever? That day I was like, I'm done. I'm done and I, I, I just can no longer do it and I don't care what happens next. And I honestly didn't know what happened next. I just knew I could no longer abide. So, um, the, you know, the strength of that was enough to compel me not to go again. But I still was very, very rooted in... Um, huge concerns about what was going to happen to my eternal soul and my eternal family um, where I stood with God and um, you know what the hell was even going to happen to my family here on earth like would they stand by me would I lose my marriage not just my eternal marriage but my you know marriage marriage here like would my husband choose the church over me would my children reject me um was I going to just have to start over in life altogether what the hell was going to happen I just knew like can't do this cannot do this anymore it's just killing me and I think it's because and I think I was willing to take the risk about all of it because in my gut I felt I felt that it was so so very wrong it was so in conflict with what I felt to be right and also it was deeply connected to something incredibly toxic which was um, the abuse that I suffered as a child and I um, conflated my abuser in many ways with the church and his authority he had conflated and his hold over me with his church authority and so that whole thing was oh great we've got some chainsaw in the background I'm going to have to check to see how much of that is coming through but um, so his control and 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 just all that toxic 
stuff that had molded so much unhappiness and so much um, misery and self-loathing in my life was also very tightly connected to the church. So on the surface, I was like, I cannot be a part of something that I see is so wrong and so harmful, and I'm just going to have to let the chips fall where they may. Um, so in one hand, you know, that sounds incredibly um, noble, and that sounds incredibly uh, brave and courageous, and almost selfless, like I'm willing to le- lose my family over this toxic church. On the other hand, it wasn't just that, it was much more heavily rooted, and I had no idea. But I think what made it so incredibly intolerable as well was that it was like, I knew somewhere inside of me that I would never be okay if I did not disconnect from this root of all evil in my life. Um, And that was really subconscious. And that is actually only a connection that I fully made this week when I got the confirmation that I was no longer on the records of the church. So... um, huge full circle so what I was saying about it being really anticlimactic when I applied I I just had somebody at the door I was on the phone I was honestly there was just so many things going on my kids were all around me it was just like oh yeah take care of that like making a dentist appointment Um, it was that that completely sort of non-remarkable And, you know, all the other things that I involved myself in had been very ceremonial and very big deal. And, you know, everything about um, what we do in the Mormon church is very, um, there's a lot of deliberateness. There's a lot of ceremony. um, There's a lot of talk leading up to the promises you make and, and just sort of your life, your lifelong grooming towards ultimately going to the temple and making those promises. And it's, it you know, you talk talk from the earliest ages about that my mom would pray you know over us every night that we would get married in the temple and have lots of beautiful babies and you know I did the same with my kids and it's just so entrenched in your way of thinking so that was very weird um, and very non-remarkable and I was like wow you know well here we go I guess and um I didn't expect to feel anything major until I got the confirmation, but that was where I was wrong because I think the night after I woke up in a cold sweat, just freaking full panic attack going, what have I done? Oh my gosh. Um, what's going to happen? Like I'm, I'm going to be not sealed anymore to my family. And then it was like, uh, now I've got apparently a, 10 engine lawnmower coming my way I might have probably chosen the wrong location for this but we'll see how it all comes out um they're just kind of vague weird sort of ideas like I'm not sealed to my family and now we're all drifting around in the afterlife and then me like my conscious self saying wait but like do you even believe you you don't even believe in that sealing power like you don't believe that the Mormon church is you know, write about anything, let alone that, like, what are you saying, you weird girl, and then I'm me going, oh, but just don't, but what if, what if, and now I've just separated from my, from my children, and my husband, and my ancestors, and, and then, you know, whenever I was having hang-ups about the church, my mom would always say to me, Kirsty, the decisions that you make for yourself, when you, you know, you talk about leaving the church, you're making for, future generations this is a huge big deal and in fact 
there was so much more emphasis upon my children and the future generations than there were, was on my own well-being. Um, so much more. Um, and I have to give credit to my brother because when I mentioned, you know, my concerns about, well, you know, I am making decisions for everybody. I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very conscious that I'm making decisions for my children and future generations here and everything. I am conscious. I am taking this seriously. And he interrupted me and said, forget about yourself as a mother. Like, forget about yourself as influencing anyone. Like, your own well-being and happiness and, you know, internal status is so important. It is equally important. Um, and I remember feeling really warmed by that because the emphasis from um, my mom had certainly, and I don't think she consciously meant that, but it certainly was all about everybody else and me kind of either, either making or breaking it. And I'm sure she didn't mean to, you know, send that message and in any overt way, but um, that was what I received. And it was actually a comfort to hear because in the church, there's often this is put upon women as you know mothers in zion it is your responsibility to make sure the whole freaking clan makes it so that was another thing so once i got over the initial panic in the middle of the night um of oh my hell what have you done <laughs> and i kind of was able to sit up and, and think with my conscious mind and be like all right now deep breaths none of this has made sense to you from the beginning and if there is a loving deity or creator or whatever, a few words while you're dressed in the most bizarre garb in a very over-the-top, elaborate, expensive temple is not going to keep you from hanging with your family. And there's passwords and handshakes and all sorts of stuff that just had always seemed like are you serious like I don't think God's gonna require like this whole like you know catastrophe and so I was able to kind of like come you know bring myself down there but then what I noticed what followed and it was very very insidious and incredibly kind of like a slow creep was a sense of utter worthlessness that my place in the world was completely um, redundant that I had dedicated my life to something that was a lie that was useless that and even if it had been useful and good was now over um, I had no part to play I had nothing to do. I was no longer Mother in Zion, I, which is an expression that is used regarding faithful Mormon, devout Mormon mothers, raising children in the church to obey the doctrine and to carry on the kingdom. Okay, so I was no longer Mother in Zion and um, basically my role was null and void. So if I was once a believer or I was still a believer, I'd really, really messed up and it was just, and if I looked at it from my non-believing mind, I'd really, really messed up <laughs> because I'd, I'd sort of, you know, drilled all, spent so much time and energy 
raising my kids a certain way, which ultimately I now found to be very misguided and even have tragic overtones in terms of how um, certain things within the church had really harmed my kids and there were real struggles attached to that so my and you know I don't have a career motherhood was my chosen career um, somewhat by myself somewhat chosen for me but it was one that I'd thrown myself into very enthusiastically and um, and it just the whole thing just seemed to me in that weird space um, right after I sort of just cavalierly which obviously so much had gone toward that day in that moment but I just sort of felt useless and redundant and ridiculous and and then I and then of course it spirals into everything that PTSD brings that you are an actual burden that you are a waste of space it's not self-pitying and when people go oh snap out of it and stop thinking about yourself that's not how it is you genuinely feel like you are a toxic kind of like wasteland or a a, a vortex of of negativity and toxicity that is harmful for others and you so I withdraw a lot I really try to avoid being around people and then I think but you know my absence or just keeping me alive or paying for my therapy or being concerned about me is is bad like that's another that's another bad thing in this world and I should need to be eradicated from this world because I'm just one more toxic thing in it um, and you know I've talked about these setbacks being more and more and more dangerous in my opinion the more you go back to this place after you've been in treatment um, while you're in that place I think it's increasingly more dangerous because you have been there before and you are so sick of it and each time my tolerance for it just got less and less and your hopelessness grows because you're like oh my gosh it's never getting better after all this work and all these layers of understanding I'm still here and I don't want to be here and I definitely do not want to be here as I get older and there's fewer people who care about me or I've exhausted um, the patience and love of the people who care now. And these are all very, very terrifying thoughts. What I didn't realize at the time was that um, the setbacks weren't regarding the same things every time so my major and most obvious things have been actually addressed and I'm quite good at understanding the triggers and managing them and the emotions that they bring regarding the very major and overt um, things that I've suffered that plainly point to PTSD but with those resolved or on their way to resolution, um, other things have been able to filter. Um, things that I had thought of as absolute non-issues or as very mild issues um, were able to then come to the surface and be addressed and it turns out were actually major issues and were very damaging and harmful things, things that I normalized because I had worse things, you know, bigger fish to fry and were actually not small things at all. Um, began to arise and so what what I think is important 
for anybody listening to this um, who I might have been making lose hope regarding getting getting help um, is that coming back around is not coming back around to the first issue necessarily I have indeed made great progress and I'm not actually going coming around to that same issue when I do have the setbacks I'm coming around to um, new things and those PTSD feelings are just as painful and horrible but more quickly resolved because I do have the skills I have the the toolkit in place and I know how important it is to hustle to the therapist um, before we go for too long so they might feel just as acute and that hole may be as dark and as horrifying and as dangerous but it's not necessarily as deep um, in that I can crawl out of it in a shorter period of time because I know where to find the ladder and where to find the people who can you know call me out so not to make light of how bad it feels when I come back around and how actually you know truly dangerous it is so do not lose um, gosh it's so hard to ask people who are supporting people um, who suffer like this not to lose patience because it's so exhausting to be a supporter of a person who keeps going to the same place um, but you know if you if you are one of those angels and you can hold steady and you can just always you know point the person toward the light and not lose hope and faith in them um, and remind them that they might actually be addressing maybe something different this time that they will resolve that it's you they're not back to square one because that sense of being back to square one is so so discouraging and like I said it's just dangerous um, for me anyway I really can't I haven't looked at the stats I haven't you know I don't know to be honest you know what percentage of people who who come back around you know to PTSD finally decide to end everything um, but for me I know that it has the peril of that has become greater um, because you sort of do become you know you really do just become more and more emboldened when you realize you know okay like for instance I am getting older and my resources may very well dwindle um, that kind of thing so the, the that way of thinking is just truly truly scary and dangerous um, but getting back to the therapist quickly has saved me um, having a small core of people because I honestly become I become so non-communicative that I don't even know how to talk to people I do not know even how to express myself which must which might be you know laughable because I am quite expressive but I I apart from like a really 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 small and, and there are people outside of this tiny core of people whom I love and trust dearly I that I, I cannot um, communicate with when I get like this and there's just one or two or three people sometimes at a time that I will even talk to that I will be able to form words with or text or converse with and some of them don't even know that I'm in the hole I just somehow managed to 
interact with them. So it's it's all very strange. It's all very strange and it's all very shitty. Um, but if you know you've got a friend who suffers that way, I, you know, look, take care of yourself first, obviously. But just maybe remind them. Um, you probably aren't, I know it seems like you're back in this, this familiar dark place, but it's, you're, you're taking care of new business now, you know, have faith as hard as that is to say or believe. Um, all right. So back to this. So I, you know, went through my state of in the interim feeling huge worthlessness and everything, but I think I was processing just so much more than I realized. I didn't even realize, you know, I didn't even have the words or the understanding of what I just said, you know, that my being null and void in my career of choice and being needed by my children, all that stuff, um, all became so confused in my mind and, and just this overwhelming sense of hopelessness and uselessness, um, just very pervasive for a while there. And, you know, I think that is just the, the necessary, not necessary, you know, I don't think everybody has to go through it to such a degree or, you know, have PTSD over it. But I do think that this, it's very necessary to process, you know, a departure from something that I was entrenched in on a cellular level. There's no other way to describe it. And I will use the word brainwashed, although it makes people very angry when I do and I totally understand why it makes people angry because when others would say that Mormons were brainwashed and I would include myself as a Mormon it would enrage me because what does that say about me you know well it says nothing about me it means I was brainwashed and it's not my fault that's the whole nature of brainwashing um, it's not your fault um, but I considered myself a very self-aware person. I considered myself an intelligent person, a questioning person, a strong person, and somebody who um, was not going to be brainwashed, for goodness sake. You know, I had my beliefs, and I had them for good reason, and I had uh, investigated them, and I would made choices, and they were mine. I was a strong woman, and I was an intelligent woman, and I really, really railed against anybody who would imply that I was some kind of oppressed Mormon woman, such that you see on TV and sensationalized shows about Mormons. I was nothing like them, and I still would maintain that I was nothing like them in most ways, um, apart from the fact that I was indeed incredibly brainwashed. I was kept afraid um, I was doing things that felt wrong to me a good deal of the time. I was covering up those concerns in my mind, um, ignoring them, turning my back on them. Um, do I think every Mormon is brainwashed? No, I don't. I don't speak for every Mormon. I think a good deal of them are. Um, do I know some people who continue to go to the church who I know for a fact aren't brainwashed? Yes, I do. Um, but they, uh, they are a few. Um, anyway, speaking for myself, I know for a fact that I was brainwashed and that I had a part in brainwashing my own children in turn. And that is, um, highly regrettable. But 
know we can take any experiences and we can learn and grow from them and genuinely become better and wiser including leaving a controlling church um, and having inflicted that same kind of damaging control on our kids and I don't think my kids had it to nearly the same extent as I did and there also wasn't the element of abuse thrown in to just confuse the part completely um, so I don't think Mormonism or being raised in a Mormon church was nearly so toxic for my kids as it had been for me I mean a totally different kettle of fish and there you go about that but what I did realize um, so in the same week now that I got this confirmation I expected that I was going to have a real meltdown that I had anticipated a long time ago I'm like that is going to be a weird day I pictured it in my mind for years you know um, once I decided I definitely wanted to be not within the church one way or the other I imagined it was going to be a pretty traumatic day but because I had sort of gone through all those emotions when the confirmation came I actually just only felt a great sense of peace and closure to be honest um, and I was able to kind of deal with some fundamental issues regarding my own progress in life um, with that done in therapy I had one of the most useful therapy sessions that I've had ever um, post receiving that this week um, I sort of had a very clear direction in which I wanted to go I wanted to isolate one particular thing that seems to stand in the way of me getting anything done and that was a sense of unworthiness I really actually isolated it that I have never felt a sense of worthiness um, because of the abuse and that it was so tied up in who I was and that it was being inflicted upon me by the same person who was also teaching me the need to be perfect um, or the need to be as perfect as I could possibly be including um, virtue and um, which is the expression that is used regarding sexual purity that I needed to be you know pure and good and striving for the highest excellence in every area of morality I was being taught that by the same person who was violating me and when you're a real young child and that person is your you know a primary caregiver and somebody you trust implicitly and is also sort of presents himself in a very um, controlling and all and very omnipotent uh, you know somebody you can't, cannot really question whose authority is worn very very heavily across their shoulders um, and exercised extremely without any judiciousness that person is the last word through you know for every member of the family um, you get super super fucked up in your brain so you know you just sort of so everything else gets really confused your own desires get really kind of fuzzy um, if they're not in keeping with what that person or what that person endorses thinks they should be you're unworthy you're and you know I was basically soiled from the start now if I you know from a, from being a very young child and 
Now, if anybody had asked me at any point during that and said to me, because you were abused, do you feel unworthy? I would have said, no, absolutely. I'm still worthy. That was, they did a bad thing to me and I know I'm good. I would have said that. I understood that on a conscious level. And in fact, I think, you know, I think my, to give the abuser credit, had taken me aside and, and probably told me that at some point and had, you know, asked for forgiveness even and had, um, you know, said, you know, <clears throat> you know, maybe felt out whether I knew that I was kind of still okay. And on a conscious level, I knew what to say and I knew the right answer to that. But subconsciously, I knew no such thing. And I might have known no such thing until this very week where that sort of suddenly I just realized I undermine everything, including this freaking podcast. Because this podcast was something, like I said, I wanted to do for a long time and I felt good about and I thought I could be good at and I thought I could do a lot of good with and um, help people and use um, various talents and passions of mine. And once I got triggered, the first thing I started to feel kind of um, detached from was my podcast and everything else good I was doing for myself. I just kind of, well, you know, emotionally detached from it and then became apathetic about it and then felt despair about it and self-loathing. I can't get anything done. I can't be complete. I can't do things the way other people do things. I can't get ahead. Um, I can't accomplish things even though I feel like I have a great deal of potential in certain areas and I have several talents that I could use, you know, much more um, capably and lucratively even. Um, all of that, I think, was stemming from this fundamental sense that I had no worth. And that was further entrenched um, as I could not be perfect within the church. And there are a lot of people, and I've interviewed I'm trying to remember all the people I've interviewed. But Lucia comes to mind, who is a member of the Mormon Church and very happy and has had very good experiences and seems to me to be incredibly healthy about who she is and what she deserves and her worthiness for blessings. Um, now, I'm not a therapist and I don't know every struggle Lucia experiences, but within the church, she sees she has always felt only love and worthiness and acceptance and the need um, to do only her best is as far as I can read um, and that's great and I'm so happy for her and that is also not to say that I when I was a member of the church didn't often feel love and didn't often feel a great deal of comfort and didn't at one point truly believe in a deity who loved me and have a sense of comfort when I prayed at times and a sense of peace when I prayed at times, many, many times. I was able to feel flashes of that and I was able to have some quite sublime spiritual experiences that I do not discount. Um, I once re received a blessing from somebody who's so dear and so good and um, was a bishop of mine at the time. and was so good to me and I still have so much gratitude towards um, he and my husband gave me a blessing once where I got a, just this vision and it came out of nowhere a sense of my spiritual self 
and it was a glorious sight and that you know the, the I don't believe anything in the blessing said and here behold your spiritual self and see with thy eyes how glorious she is there was nothing like that we're just talking about my future about the fact that I would be happy and whole one day and um, it was just kind of this crazy blinding flash of who I really was my purest self outside of the the pain and the jack janked up chemicals and the problems and complications who my what my spirit looked like and it was lovely my spirit was lovely and it was I remember a lot of color and a lot of light and very large and inclusive and warm and embracing and happy and confident and one day I would like to be a good enough artist to paint a rendition of but it's clear in my mind it's clear enough in my mind that that's so I've had really good experiences within the spirituality outside of the dogma outside of the doctrine outside of all of that I have met beautiful people who have really um allowed me to to feel an amazing amount of love and 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 moments of great peace and joy so that should be said and i think one of the reasons why i haven't had any kind of church discipline much to my you know initial disappointment was because you know our local leader was such another another wonderful man who was such a good friend to our family and to my husband and to me really understood my my situation and had nothing but a great deal of sympathy and empathy and kindness and just wanted to do everything to hurt rather than uh, everything to help gosh rather than to hurt and would have probably you know stood in the way of anything like that any kind of negative discipline coming my way for very pure reasons other than the fact that the church um you know is kind of in a pr nightmare right now and droves of people are leaving and um, they have much bigger fish fish to fry than excommunicating me Um, I honestly think that even you know if a lot of people had called for my excommunication I like to believe that this guy was in my corner because he is so kind and good and, and, and acts truly like a Christian and really seems to be very progressive and that is true of so many Mormons um who are good people and there's one right now who's doing some very good work and I want to kind of close an important work I want to close this podcast with a plug for him his name is Sam Young um, he has really devoted his life and tens of thousands of dollars of his retirement savings I mean many many tens of thousands of dollars and is currently on a hunger strike in Salt Lake City to get awareness for and try to speak to um, the general authorities of the LDS Church regarding um, protecting the children um, in the LDS Church against um, the practices of being interviewed um, one-on-one with a male authority figure behind closed doors and having them asked uh, very prying questions of a sexual nature and obviously this is so wrong on in so many regards it opens up these kids to abuse and there are countless stories of abuse um, it also allows kids to be groomed for future abuse 
Um, it jacks up your concepts of sexuality apart from anything else, even if no overt abuse happens. Um, there's just way too much emphasis on sex in the church and, 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 and real interference in, in natural sexual self-exploration and masturbation and so much guilt placed on really natural kind of things that kids need to do and often do do without the prying and the interference of adults as they figure out what they're about and how their bodies work and all of this is really natural and wholesome and stuff and it's made to be very weird and very harmful so on every level it's just bad 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 news and some progress has been made by the church in terms of amending their policies but like everything in the mormon church it moves at a glacial pace and meanwhile kids are being harmed and it's not okay not okay at all and he has um he's somebody that loves the church and wants to stay in it and has had suffered greatly because of the stand that he's taken um has really put his money where his mouth is there's a lot of skin in the game and is not giving up and i've got to give him kudos now that i've been away from the church for a while i i just see it so much differently from when I was in it and I see it much as I believe a person who was never in it might see it like why are you in that crazy church and often I'm like why are you getting all up in arms you person about this just leave and that's so um so ironic and and wrong of me because and that's not about Sam. I'm just saying in general, you know, there's been several cases in the media lately. And I'm, I remember saying very flippantly toward one of them, well, nobody's forcing them to stay in that crazy cult, which is so unfair because it took me so long to detach. And once you're in there, um, there's just, it's, it's just so complex. And leaving for anyone is complex in a different way or 10,000 different ways. So, you know, me being so judgy and cavalier about it, is very very wrong um, because it certainly was one of the hardest and most complex things I've ever done so you know people who do stay have their place for sure and fight to change things from the inside um, this man has all my admiration and my thanks because I wasn't interested in doing work from the inside um, it, I did not have the disposition or the desire um, or the mental health or any of those things but he loves the church and he loves things about it that maybe I've never experienced and he has his reasons for staying in it but he is really taking this stand and um, I've tried to on Facebook share um, updates on that hunger strike I think he's six days in um, and just people have donated to fund him and just boosting the signal is very helpful so if you listen to this podcast and you're interested in um, what he's doing his name is sam young it's um the group is called protect lds org um you know go check out the website go check out what he's doing maybe consider boosting the signal or, or donating a couple of dollars or if nothing else just being aware of it and talking to your lds friends about it if you are lds listening um get involved on a local level um 
with your ward leaders be very aware of what's going on with your kids the questions that they're being asked i would completely encourage you you know children as young as seven are being asked about their sexuality which is super super messed up always sit with your kids or um you know refuse those interviews altogether or what have you um i once knocked on the door where my daughter was being interviewed and found it locked from the inside there's my you know my teenage young teenage daughter alone with a man inside there and regardless of how much a good guy he he was or seems to be or how much i personally trust him that is completely unacceptable unbelievably unacceptable and ridiculous and it puts also puts him in an incredibly perilous situation so the lds people really need to um come together and 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 protect kids because that's not okay and no matter how much you might love your church pedophiles are everywhere and they're often in the form of your most trusted um, and wholesome looking um, leader I know that because the person who abused me was a shining 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 star and everybody thought he was the best thing since sliced bread and the most moral person they'd ever met including me even though I you know I that's how jacked up you get as a kid I thought he was super perfect um, and somehow I managed to just compartmentalize this so pedophiles are very, very, very good at what they do, um, getting people, not just kids, to trust them, but everyone to trust them. Um, and we can't be naive and dumb about stuff. We can't put kids in peril, and that is exactly what we're doing. And like I said, even if the abuse is not overt, um, it's incredibly inappropriate and harmful and just not good. Um, for kids to have to discuss um, their sexuality with adults in this manner. Um, Not okay. So check out what he's doing. And thank you for tuning in. It feels good to be back. I'm resolved to continue with this podcast. Um, I have some great guests lined up. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm like now so kind of back on track after doing this. I feel really good about it. And I feel like, oh, I just can't even bear to space it out a week or more between. So we'll see. We'll see. But I do have such uh, some really good interviews um, lined up that I'm excited about. And um, I'm now, it looks like pretty much everywhere podcasts can be heard. So please subscribe so you don't miss any. You don't have to listen to these in order. I know some people want to and then they get really behind. Just jump in wherever. Truly, I'm not organized to be building on interviews I, I can't even stay on one topic for more than a minute so I'm certainly they don't build on each other like a series um, and tell your friends if you wouldn't mind um, you know share on your social media just refer your friends I would really appreciate it and if you have ideas or you have questions or comments um, please direct them um, to me uh, via anywhere kirstie.sayer at gmail um, I have a public Facebook page. You can also reach me on my Momity sketch page, which is where my now defunct mostly, but still a live blog. And I keep meaning to update it in some way, but I'm not sure how or where or what, but Momity sketch is still alive. I'm also on Instagram as Momity Kirsty. Um, or if you just know me in the wild, just come up, you know, let's chat. But thanks so much for tuning in and I hope everybody has been having a lovely summer or those in the southern um, 
I was about to say southern atmosphere. The southern hemisphere, I hope winter has not been too cold and um, harsh. And um, with that, I bid you adieu on this Friday afternoon and a lovely weekend ahead. Talk to you soon. Bye.